Welcome to the Primary Source Podcast. My name is Tom Bober, a school librarian in the suburbs of St. Louis, Missouri. This podcast is here to explore how primary sources can be used in K-12 libraries and classrooms. We'll dig into resources and teaching strategies, talk to educators who are utilizing primary sources, and supporters of educators who curate these incredible items and use them in their work. And that is exactly what we're going to be doing today in our interview with Megan McCarthy, author and illustrator. This is our second and last interview that I had recorded last season, but didn't post up. And so I'm really happy to give the time to this interview today. It was great listening back in as I was editing through it. And it was wonderful listening to Megan share about her newest book, which is called Action, How Movies Began. Megan's books really were some of the first picture book nonfiction that I read that I really appreciated for the nonfiction elements and the fun, kind of cartoonish style art that she does. And as I mentioned in my intro to her when we first start talking, so many of her books are on my shelves. Earmuffs for Everyone, The Wildest Race Ever, City Hawk, Aliens Are Coming. There are so many where she picks a fascinating topic, does a great job researching the story and giving us something that's not only enjoyable to read, but fun to look at as well. I hope that you find this interview fun to listen to. Enjoy. Listeners, we are here with Megan McCarthy, and she has a lot of nonfiction picture books that are on my shelf in my library. I could name a long list of them, but we're here today to talk about her most recent one, and that is called Action, How Movies Began. Megan, thank you so much for joining us on the Primary Source Podcast. Thanks for having me. So I would love to hear just a little bit about this new picture book from you, Action, How Movies Began. Uh, For someone who has not picked it up yet, what would you share about it? Um, Well, it's the longest book. It's it's taking me the longest out of any of my books. Uh, The art was really important to me, so I was really hell-bent on doing a particular type of thing with this. So... I guess I want people to notice the art first because um, I think that's important. Uh, other than that, what I want children to take away is just, I just want them to use it as a jumping off point to check out some old movies and sort of get into the history of things. So I, I wasn't, the, the mission wasn't to delve deeply into anything, obviously, I, because I covered the entire silent movie era. So from pre-movies to the early inventions all the way to like the advent of sound and then the book stops. So there's a lot of material to pack into one little book. I think there is, it is, it's such a a large overview. And I know that I've seen similar books from, from other author illustrators. And I think it's kind of daring to kind of take all of this on but honestly, when I first picked this up and it was in an F and G and I remember I tweeted it out because you replied and you said the color's not right yet, you know, so I can appreciate that. Yeah, the, the pandemic meant that 
like nobody was in the office anymore. And that added an extra layer of stress because usually I would drop off the art in person because I don't trust the mail at all. Um, and then, you know, they look it over with me standing there and then, you know, the art director would be there, my editor would be there and everyone could take a look. And with this one, when I dropped it off to some assistant or something, my art director never saw the art. So there was no one to color match who's used to working with my art. And because it's painted, it's not digital. So they, they really need to look at the actual art. To, so this, the original scans were way off, way off, more than any other book I've done. I mean, they fixed it. They made it look great, but it took a little while getting there. It, it does and, look great. This Yeah, this final one looks amazing. And um, I would, I, you're kind of making me want to go grab that F and G because I know I've got it tucked away somewhere and just compare the color work on it. But um, well, tell I me got a little bit prior to the F and G. Those were the ones where the color was super off. By the time they had put out the F and G, it was pretty good. If you saw the original, it was like whoa, it was very um, contrasty and too much saturation on a lot of illustrations, and my art did not look like that. Um, also, there was one thing they is a big difference on the on the first page i uh so you let's see that people won't know that i ended up having to paint a, let me see if i get a bit a separate um this this page right here the first page uh, oh oops uh this one <laughs> there's a different piece in the um fng that was in a whole nother Oh, the, this picture the uh, of Elizabeth Gold, the Golden Age. That's that image uh -huh. has been changed from the F and G. Okay, I'll I'll definitely have to go back and check that out. At the very last minute, literally, they're like, it's going to print, but the attorney looked it over and they have issues. So you need to make a new piece, like tomorrow. <laughs> so can I ask you a little bit about that? Like, because I'm wondering. You're obviously in, in many images here because you're showing us images of movies. And of course, this is your rendition. Um, yes. It certainly is your style. But there's also, and I know this because you on social media shared some of these out along the way, there was certainly a dedication on your part to really showing a particular moment from a movie. And mm -hmm. sometimes that was extremely important to do because you're comparing moments across movies. It what what was the were there legal issues around that were there copyright issues around that or because you're basically taking these scenes and and showing them in a new light as far as this comparative look and this look across time is that make it kind of a um you've got some some fair use opportunities to uh, I, I, express I say, yourself with these images i'd say fair use for sure but um the publisher wants to lean on the side of not fair use to be extra careful. Um, so uh, luckily most of the movies are not under copyright protection and anyone can post the whole thing on YouTube, which is awesome. It means I didn't have to spend thousands of dollars paying for movies to watch or renting them. Um, cause they're all on there, which is great. And kids can check that out too. Uh, I, obviously I put some new movies in there. Um, Surprisingly, the attorney didn't have a problem with most of those. Oh, except for the Elizabeth one. So her issue, her issue there was in the F and G version, which I love, and it took me three weeks to do it. 
uh, is that I copied a movie poster, not a scene from the movie. I didn't even realize I did that, honestly. I was just looking for cool images and I loved the dress. So she took an issue with the dress specifically. I don't know, I'm not an attorney. So anyways, so I had to go back and find a scene from the movie and I made sure I, I watched the whole thing and I made sure that it was from the movie. So, I, but I wanted to paint like some of the outfits. So I made sure it was a scene that had kind of an ornate, like head dress scarf thing. So, but yeah, the, so it's uh, really intricate collar work that you're showing yeah, that one for sure. But I had to rush that one. Um, the other issue she had was uh, the Metropolis painting. Just one of them, the city scene. But the issue is some of these movies are not American movies. So it's Germany and they have different laws. And and they had extended the copyright, but it, it would have ended right when my book came out. So I personally wasn't concerned at all about that one. She was, but I'm just like, I looked up when it would end and it, I'm fine now. So, and I can't see the, the people who owned it. So I had to do research into this too. So it, it was a film company that owned the, the rights. And I went on their website and their mission was just to make sure that the people who use the movie uh, portrayed it accurately, not changed it, the colors or chopped up or anything like that. So I can't, it, it was like a, what was it? Was it a historical foundation, like a film historical? So I couldn't see them taking issue with it because my whole point is just, I mean, I wasn't going to disparage a movie or change the look or the artistic thing or anything like that. So I wasn't concerned about that either. Other ones. I, I <laughs> I want to move around. I want to move away from the legal just for a minute because I yeah. want to just take a whole step back. And you were mentioning just the the scope of this because, and I know you mentioned it kind of ends at the silent era, but as you also mentioned, it does reference um, more current movies, things within the last several decades. And I'm wondering, just getting to that initial inspiration, what made you want to take this kind of large scale look at movies across decades and even really over a century of, of film in some ways. I think that my initial pitch was smaller. Um, I'm trying to, this is such a long process. Uh, so I, they, and it was all black and white, obviously, because all the movies then were in black and white. And my whole idea was to copy actual scenes from movies. And the art director and my editor wanted color in it. <laughs> so I'm thinking like, okay, how can I solve that? And they had various ideas and I didn't like any of them, like put borders around everything, bright red border and a purple border or whatever. I hated all of that. I, do, I don't like borders. It's just my personal thing is that I find them distracting to the art. So I thought, okay, I can put some modern movies in. Um, and, you know, they also asked for more diversity, which is an issue back in the silent era. And so that was another way of me sort of solving that problem. So that's why I did that. Um, I, but I like the, I, a lot of times, like I'm, I'm unsure. I, at one point I wanted to quit, I'll be honest. Like it was a very dis difficult task to try to compile this all into one thing. Um, but I ended up liking the outcome. So I wouldn't have done the book if I didn't. I, I love it. And I, I'm actually really glad that these current movies came in because honestly, one of my favorite elements within the book is this idea that 
uh, and I know this may not be explicitly stated, but but movie makers today are also movie fans, right? So they draw upon this inspiration, which I know you do mention, of previous movies. I discovered when I was like sort of trying to solve the problem of adding color, and I thought, oh wow, like really, there are so many copies from old movies. I mean, there's ones I didn't put in the book that I thought were, were really cool but very adult, so I couldn't add them, such as like one of these mob movies with Kevin Costner, there's a baby carriage that bounces down stairs, and it's such a dramatic scene, and they're shooting at the all which ways, but the baby survives, but everyone else dies. Obviously, I'm not going to put that in the book, um, but that was taken from an old Russian film where the same thing happens. It's like this dramatic moment and everyone's fighting and this carriage is so slowly bouncing down the stairs and the mom's trying to save it. So it's clear that it's not just like the directors and writers are inspired by old films. They also want to deliberately stick some stuff in there as sort of a nod to what they're inspired by. So I like that. You've got, that you've got some scenes in here that are, there are, and I should say scenes because I'm thinking of movies, but images in here that are feel like almost like an image, uh, like a scene by scene take, you know, and it could be something very small. Other ones, like you mentioned, are more of that inspiration. One of the ones that I loved uh, was the hanging from the clock, you know, the old um, the old black and white film, uh, Harold Lloyd's in, in the yeah, image yeah. that you share here. And then kids might yeah. be more familiar with the Hugo film from about a little over a decade ago. People my age are going to be more familiar from with the Doc Brown back to the future yeah. scene hanging from the clock. I thought that was awesome. And then the other one that, that you had me looking up because I didn't realize there was a third reference is I knew that Charlie Chaplin dancing roles scene that that was familiar to me and i remembered the benny and june uh june scene that johnny depp in my opinion just does this kind of nod to chaplin but then mm -hmm. you also have uh an earlier reference from a movie called the rough house which i had never heard of never seen and so i was going online trying to find that and found it and it was really fascinating because in my opinion as i'm watching as like a moviegoer it was a very short little scene where he does this little dancing, moving role thing. And then in, in the Chaplin scene, which comes out almost a decade later, Chaplin takes it to this whole other level and just does something, in my opinion, much more entertaining and amazing uh, with, with that simple idea and really builds upon it. Yeah, that, um, the, the, it, yeah it's funny. The first, the first version is sort of like a couple little casual thing and then Chaplin like really makes it more dramatic and then obviously the third movie with Johnny Depp like he's directly sort of like doing a nod to the Chaplin but obviously he, he must have practiced it a whole bunch of times to get it that way the whole scene is crazy like that dish ends up sliding off the countertop and he saves it so it's like a lot of moments it would have been really practiced which is cool I, I made a little video where I put them all in there and, and showed people so you can watch. Until is this on your website? Um, I put it on YouTube. Okay. I decided okay. So we'll try to put that, that in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm just trying to start a YouTube channel. Perfect. Okay, we'll point people towards that because I think it's perfect to just yeah. see those things side by side. 
Yeah, and I did uh, my own attempt at it. The whole world now, let me ask you about, you know, this, this whole... Our, our episodes are always around primary sources. Obviously, your films that you're referencing here are are all primary sources. So I don't want to ask what necessarily primary sources you came across. I mean, I, I think it's it's fairly evident, and you just referenced some ones that you came across that maybe you weren't able to work into the book for various reasons. But what was that whole process like for you of working with these primary source films and not only looking for, in, in the case of what we were just talking about, connections, but also just finding out, like you're kind of interpreting these films and finding out like, what do you want to actually say about them as a, as a nonfiction picture book author? What was your interaction like with, with all of these films? Well, first I, have to, I had to decide what to include. So I watched hundreds and hundreds. <laughs> the, the silent ones, the early silent ones, I actually found to be pretty boring, um, with the exception of some of the, some of the vampire ones are that one on um, Dr. Drawing a blank. Um, Super surreal and fascinating the way they filmed them. Um, the what is it, Dr. Oh, the cabinet, of, the curiosities of Dr. Caligari. Anyways, it's in the book. Um, I was reading about that, so they and I saw some photos of it. They like it's so dramatic because they painted the shadows onto the walls. So so like everything's angular and, and crazy and sort of art deco-y. Uh, so I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I, I admit, and film buffs wouldn't like this, that I watched a lot of movies with the speed on too. <laughs> so I could like get it all done because otherwise it would take years to watch all these things. Um, and I noticed like Buster Keaton, for example, who's my favorite, his early films are kind of like surreal in a way, like a lot of his stunts. And as they move to more storytelling and less like these 20 minute movies, he, I guess, thought he had to remove all the surreal kind of tricks that he did and have more of a narration story that was realistic, um, which I thought was a little more boring than his earlier stuff because a lot of it, like when you just see a compilation, it's just so fun to watch all of his stunts, but a lot of it is this drawn out storytelling that um, you have to sort of slog through. We're just not used to that, especially because there wasn't sound. So I think children may find it boring. I, I would just put on my own music instead of whatever the videos provided. Uh, so yeah, I did a, a, an awful lot of movie watching. I didn't get to the 1930s. I think I had included it at one point, but wow, before they put in the Hayes Code, which was this code where, you know, like, you know, the whole screwball comedy was came out of that, where there were all sorts of rules about, you know, no violence, no sexuality, and so they would just hint at stuff. Uh, prior to that, I was sort of shocked. I didn't know, like, there was a Betty Davis movie that was just kind of wild. She was kind of like this floozy lady who couldn't keep a relationship and was cheating on this boyfriend. And like, I'm sort of surprised at that. And there was a lot of those gangster movies and stuff in the thirties too. So, but anyways, I didn't, it, 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 my, my book cuts off before that. But so I, I, I ended up watching more movies than in a bigger time period than I decided to settle with. So, yeah, so that's, I, I all think it's, Go ahead. I think it's such an interesting point that, that this idea that you, and I think I, I've heard this from other authors who are out there and doing that, doing research, 
may be very different types of books, but this idea that when you're looking through historical items, in your case, historical film, that you end up looking a lot wider than yeah. your book necessarily is able to depict just based off page count alone and, and, and the, the structure of the storytelling is certainly only lends itself to so much information. Uh, you, I, I would imagine that your ability to converse around kind of uh, early film is at a, at a level that it never was before because of all this research that you've done with these primary source films. I never watched, I don't think I'd watched all the way through any silent films before. So this was a whole new experience for me, which I enjoyed. I mean, how cool is it that your job would be to watch movies and write, write it off? <laughs> you had to buy any, you know? Um, so that was pretty interesting. It was fun. I can't complain about that aspect of the whole situation. Obviously, as far as primary resources, like there's, I included prior to actual movies. So I had to use, I had to look through all patents, make sure the dates were right. Um, oh, I got into a big problem. Like there was a New York Times article, I think it was from the 80s. It said like the Edison's original camera weighed something like 1,500 pounds. And I thought that was a little preposterous. So then I had to actually, I contacted the Edison Museum in New Jersey. And I went back and forth with the curator there, the guy who works there, who's very knowledgeable. And he didn't know the answer um, to the weight. And then he had to dig up some old, like he sent me some old letters, which is pretty cool, where they discussed just the plate that the projector or the camera sat on was super heavy. Um, I mean, I never, I couldn't confirm whether it was a thousand pounds or not. So I left the weight out. That's what I do when I'm not sure what the answer is. So, uh, but still, that due diligence to go try to hunt that information down, going about as close to the source as you're going to be able to get at this point, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, I had the actual handwriting in these letters, which was neat. And I don't know how many people, I don't know if that's online. I doubt it. Uh, that letter. I mean, the handwriting was kind of messy. Oh, another fascinating thing when you go way back and you're looking at primary sources is uh, the letters were different for, like, the, I think it was the F. So you have to learn how, well, and I don't know how many kids even learn cursive, but in cursive, they wrote some of the letters differently than we do today. So it's, it's also confusing in that way. So when you go back to the 1700s, 1800s, there were some other letters besides F, I can't remember, but strange. You check it out. Um, yeah, and the, the letters, the letter formations, the I'm sure there was language, <laughs> vocabulary that was probably... Um, new to you or something that you hadn't come across before as well. Uh, it, it certainly is a little bit of some sleuthing to not, not just be able to get to it, but then in some cases to be able to decipher it. Well, I'm, I was used to, I've done other books that go back in time. Um, even like the forties, I, I, I thought it was interesting. Like the word tomorrow, um, even back in the forties, they would write T O dash tomorrow. Like it was two separate things sometimes with a hyphen um uh, there's a few other phrases like that that has changed over time i didn't have too much trouble actually i found that it was kind of interesting the way edison talked was kind of casual in a lot of the quotes and stuff i mean they were all wrapped up in medical things that weren't true which was interesting um like what did edison think he he, he had some he thought he had like frayed nerves from something but what anyways I'm, I'm straying off topic but uh, 
I like I like finding out stuff like that, what they think of that way back when. So, what else did I do? Oh, um, also I need I I, I uh, there's a radio interview that that's good with Buster Keaton in the '60s. Um, I found it online. Thank goodness for everything being on, literally everything being online. Um, so I listened to that, and someone on YouTube had put up some of his other quotes because uh, I like to quote the actual words from people when possible to when describing something because I think it's better. I also did that a lot in the author's note. Uh, he was talking about his stunts, so I was just kind of curious how he came up with that whole thing. So I watched, I listened to a radio interview. Pretty interesting guy. Um, he got injured quite a few times actually. He fractured his neck. Um, given the, given the image that you put on there, it's yeah, no doubt that he had some injuries because it looks like quite the stunt. And I've seen some Buster Keaton kind of some of that stunt action also. Yeah. And nobody does that anymore. Now it's like CGI, everything's in CGI, but it's so much more amazing when you watch people actually do these things. Uh, like, I mean, obviously, like safety last, for example, look up um, how Harold Lloyd did this stunt. So it's pretty cool. They built like a mini miniature building on top of a building um, and filmed it from that perspective so that they could get the actual city and stuff below with all the cars going past. Uh, but, you know, obviously, if he fell, he's not going to fall too far. But I think he did break a finger doing that anyways, because even though it wasn't that far a drop, he's still there's still a little bit of a drop in so there's always that risk well and you mentioned the you mentioned the tom cruise kind of injury that happens in in kind of this similar type of jump and i know that probably some of our listeners have seen video of that you can go online and find like these slow motions where you're watching his Mm -hmm. his foot or ankle kind of get bent in funny ways so yeah this this dedication that 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 you don't see as much anymore, but towards doing your own stunts uh, really does up the the wow factor visually when you're watching some of these things. Um, also, Jackie Chan, uh, can watch some of his stuff. Uh, I, I was debating who to include. I only had two pages, so one modern, one one like Buster Keaton. But the problem is, like a lot of the Jackie Chan footage is kind of a little grainy, and I really wanted, I needed something more high res to copy from for for this book, so. Like when you pause movement, it's just kind of like a blur and I can't quite see what's going on. So obviously with the older stuff, I kind of had to make it up. Although what people are doing is um, redoing like some of the really old movies. Have you seen like look up like 1800s, the um, uh, the Lumiere brothers, even like the train. Um, they with computer technology, they're able to make it high res. It's kind of like, whoa. You know, you see everyone with the top hats and everything, and you know it's old-fashioned, but it looks like today. Um, Sometimes they add color, too. So uh, that's going on, which is pretty neat. That would be incredible to see. I'll have to look one of those up, and if I find one, I'll include it in the show notes, too. Um, I want to kind of wrap this up by, by just asking you, uh, if there was if there was a, a source and maybe it was a, a, mo- a specific movie, maybe it was uh, you said you listened to interviews and and read letters. Was there a, a primary source that surprised you or was unexpected or changed the way that that you thought about this book and, and the story that you wanted to tell? Not I mean, it didn't change. I mean, obviously, after I watched all those movies, I pr- had a pretty good, good grasp of uh 
what was happening. Um, I, I delved into um, Edward Moybridge, and um, there, you can look up actual photographs of how they, when the horse was running, how they like these like little, not strings, I don't know what they were, triggered when the horse hit it. Kind of interesting because it's like this white building with these little boxes where the cameras would sit. Uh, so there's some neat photographs on that because I, I, I couldn't quite imagine from the descriptions what exactly was going on. So I'm glad they had photographs of that. Um, he's a, he was, his, his whole life story is pretty crazy and not appropriate for children. <laughs> well, the piece that you've got in there is fascinating and it talks about this row of cameras that was set yeah. up and, and, and as the, the rider on horse was, was, was racing across, it would kind of trip these these yes. wires or threads that would then uh trigger these cameras to go off and if i remember correctly this was one of the ways they were actually able to really understand how a horse ran how it moved because in, yeah, in other times that. it was maybe so fast that that you sure. couldn't really depict it as well as as uh yeah your eye can't really in a way that was kind of true to life yeah, the, the, I couldn't figure it out. And if you look at some of the paintings were ridiculous, how they assumed a horse ran, um, more like a, a leopard or something, which is not how they run at all. Um, but it was interesting, like Moybridge injured himself. Um, he was a bookseller at one point. And after his head injury, he got really daring and started climbing on to the edges of mountains and stuff to take photos. So that's how he got into the whole photography thing. Um, and people think it's because of his injury, he kind of had no fear of certain things like heights, for example. Um, and so based on his photographs, he was hired. He was well known for that. And so he was hired to do these courses. So I was like finding out these other things I don't put in the book that are just kind of interesting. So, yeah. Fascinating stuff. And, and to your point, uh, I'll... I'll... I'll also mention, and you've referenced the back matter. The back matter is rich in this one, in my opinion. Uh, I, I especially personally enjoyed reading about the makeup used during the silent era, but there's all kinds of other really great information in the back matter that is well worth checking out. I um, could include an image of it, but you, you, it's online. Maybe I should link to it on my website. Yeah, that's what I'll do. Um, there's an old image that have been an example of what a person would have actually looked like with this makeup versus how it came out. Um, and it's quite bizarre, uh, the way, what they did. So, I mean, the men too wore a lot the, of makeup, white cakey makeup. <laughs> so, um, so it's funny that when you see the actual makeup on people before the black and white. Um, so yeah, I'll link to some of that. I know that we can't wait to see any of those additional materials that, that connect to this newest book. It is called Action, How Movies Began. Megan McCarthy, I've loved the conversation. I love the book. And thank you thank again for joining us on the Primary Source Podcast. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it.